morning's scripture readings are taken from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, and John chapter 20, verses 19 through 20. Again, the first text in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, found on page 1004 in the Bible. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Our second scripture reading comes from John 20, verses 19 and 20, found on page 933. It reads, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sides. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, um, pray that you would be present among us uh, this morning. Father, I pray that you would stir our hearts to a deeper affection for you uh, to a um, that you would bend our wills that you would uh, deepen our faith that you would widen the love that we have for you and for others father i pray that you would surprise us this morning with real joy that you would uh, work in our hearts and in our lives uh, so father please uh, be present we pray in Jesus' mighty and merciful name, amen. Well, sometimes there are sermons that uh, you give that um, there's something very tangible and concrete about it, and you can speak from wisdom and experience and even habit. Um, and I would love to say that this is one of them. It's not. Um, like I just several people this week, I said, you know, I'm preaching on joy this Sunday. And uh, I would say probably in the last four to six years of my life, there hasn't been a lot of joy. That there's been a lot of despair in my life, a lot of uh, discouragement. Um, life has just been hard. Uh, and, and all of you, I'm sure in various ways, can relate to that. And uh, so this morning, I, it's somewhat, I feel somewhat... Um, I mean, perhaps more hypocritical than usual <laughs> as I bring to you the message. Uh, but it really is true. I mean, in fact, if, if, uh, if you had known me as a child, if you had known me in high school and even through college, I was um, just a very happy guy. Not happy-go-lucky. There was that, too. I was, the, I was very much in junior high and high school. I was a joker and a jokester uh, in the military. My military friends and I, we, would, we knew how to just have a great time together. But even beyond that, I really had a confidence in God's sovereignty. I grew up in a Christian home. And, um, in fact, one of my favorite verses growing up was taken from the Proverbs. Um, it goes like this. It's very simple. It says, there is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Let me say it again. There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. And I found such joy in God's sovereign purposes. 
And I still believe that. I still believe in his sovereign purposes. But as, as life has hit me in various ways, as different sorrows and struggles have come, that, that joy has, has been embattled. It has been, um, it has been a joy that I have to fight for at times. And so this morning, I don't, I don't want to talk about joy in a light way or in a way that's trivial or that's easy. I think in some ways, the Christian life is indeed a fight for joy. But it actually was the joy of the Apostle Paul that uh, really anchored and has attracted me to the Christian faith. In fact, if you would, go ahead and open your Bibles. We're going to turn to the book of Philippians. I just want to just show you a few different sections from Philippians. Uh, I may recall later that the passage that, that, that Sarah read for us from John. But if you look, if you want to follow along in your pew Bible, uh, it's on page one, well, sorry, 1011. That's 1011, 1011. But one of the things that really got me into studying the Apostle Paul to begin with, that's what I studied in my, my, uh, in my graduate work, was very much the fact that he was a man of joy. In fact, if you know anything about Philippians, um, it's actually written, like several other, apostles, uh, several other epistles of Paul, it's written from prison. Now just stop and think about that for a second. The apostle to the Gentiles is in prison. God had summoned him from a life of persecuting Christians to a life of proclaiming Christ. And he was told, he was, Christ appears to him in a vision and tells him to go to the nations from city to city proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And guess where he is? He's in prison. In fact, the book of, the book of Acts, we don't know which scholars will debate exactly where Paul is. He's either in, in prison in Rome or he's in Caesarea Philippi, which is along the, the eastern Mediterranean coast. Um, and so he's in one of those two locations, but regardless, especially if he was in the latter, in Caesarea Philippi, if he was there, he was there for easily two years, just left in prison. I, mean, I, I, just, I can guarantee you that Paul, when God called him, did not see himself. He knew that he would be, there would be suffering, he knew there would be struggle, but he didn't see himself in this dead end of a prison. What can he do? Where can he go? How can he proclaim the gospel when you're in a jail cell? And so if you look here in chapter 1, verse 12, I love this. This is so beautiful. He says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, what's happened to him? He's in jail. He's in prison. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Paul has in time, I don't know how long it took, but in time, he was able to connect the dots between this sudden right turn, or this what we, what we might consider a, you know, taking three steps back, or this sudden, you know, the unwanted, uh, 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 roadblock, if you will, in life to his plans and purposes, to, what he, to his call for his life. And he's able to connect the dots to see how that roadblock has actually served, he says, to advance the gospel. 
Listen to this, verse 13. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. So there's the first reason. Paul is interacting with various persons in the prison. And as he does so, they're asking, why are you here? What's going on? What's, what's this about? And he's able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ there in the prison, which may not seem like very much until you realize that the people to whom he was ministering were, 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 were Roman soldiers. They were Gentiles. And you know where Roman soldiers would go after their, for their next, their next location, their next service, their next post? All over the world. Isn't that amazing? It reminds me of a, a man who, used to, who ministered to a number of cadets when I went to the Air Force Academy. He was a man who administered to various cadets, and he would just come and he would disciple them. He would help them just grow and learn about Christ. He would meet with them one-on-one, -on -one, and it seemed a fairly humble, simple ministry until you realize that as he was serving and caring for and ministering to these cadets, they would graduate and go where? All over the world. See, so often our acts of service, we don't begin to understand how, how great they are. We can't see how they're actually advancing the gospel. And he says here, in verse 13, he speaks of how the whole palace guard is hearing and how that will have in time, you know, exponential impact. And then verse, look at verse 14. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So the people are actually hearing about Paul. They're hearing about this roadblock. They're hearing about the suffering that he is experiencing. And it's emboldening them. It's encouraging them. Because they too have had roadblocks. They too have had unexpected right turns. They too have had sorrows that just, it just seems so wrong. It seems like this is a disaster. It seems that nothing good can come from this. And they're seeing Paul's example. That in prison, he continues to be faithful to the Lord. Now, it gets even more complicated. So he says in verse 14 that so there are brothers and sisters who have seen his situation, and, and they are encouraged by it. They're emboldened. They become more confident to, to declare the gospel. Look at, but look at verse 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. So he says, you know, people are actually watching me. They're taking my example they're emboldened to preach the gospel. But he says, you know, it's actually not that, it's actually more complicated than that. There are people out there, there are other ministers out there who are preaching the gospel and they're doing so with what kind of motives? Envy. Rivalry. That's true. I, there are, I have many motives as I serve, as I, serve, as I, as I seek to be a pastor. Always, many of them aren't, aren't very good at all. This mixed motive. And Paul says, it's true. Listen, it really is true that there's some out there who are, who are preaching Christ, who are serving the Lord of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. Listen to this, verse 16. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former, those who are preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry, the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Do you see? He's saying, listen, there are actually ministers out there who are, who are slandering my name. 
They're out there saying, well, well, Paul's in prison, and we all know why. I mean, obviously, he must have done something wrong. And, and they're throwing him under the bus. And I'll tell you this, and I'm going I mean, to say this as discreetly as I can, but the, 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 the most significant, the most, um, the most painful wounds that I have had in my life have actually come from other ministers. And Paul here is saying this very thing. He's speaking of how there are other people out there who, for all manner of motives, ill motives, envy, rivalry, selfish ambition, who not sincerely but hypocritically are out there preaching Christ and they're throwing Paul under the bus. And this is what makes me so amazed by Paul. Listen to what he says in verse 18. But what does it matter? Are you kidding me? <laughs> it matters a lot. <laughs> how, could you, how could you look and see these half-hearted ministers out there throwing them under the bus? And he says, what does it matter? What, what an incredible question. What does it matter? He says, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motive or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me, that is my imprisonment, will turn out for my deliverance. See, Paul's still hopeful. He, looked, he doesn't know how. He doesn't know what's going to happen. In fact, he goes on here. This is so, this is so amazing. He goes on to speak of his uncertainty about the future. But listen to the joy. Listen to the free. Here's this man in prison. And listen to the freedom. Listen to the joy that he has. It's so incredible. He says, verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, who talks like that? I mean, who talks like that? To live is Christ, and to die is gain. I can remember reading in my freshman, sophomore year at the academy, and just being so blown away by that. I was 20, 21 years old. I was envying a man in prison because he was more free. He was more joyful than I was. And this brings us to very, very close to the heart of Christian joy. Christian joy comes so often in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of loss, in the midst of sin, when we realize, listen to this gang, that all we need, we have in Christ. That in Him, we have welcome. In Him, we have the wisdom that we need. In Him, we have resurrection. We have a new heavens and a new earth awaiting for us. In Him, we have renewed bodies. I, you know, I struggle with vanity. I'm a vain man. I don't want to get old. I don't want to be dependent on others. And to believe, to know that indeed that I will have a resurrected body. 
renewed one day, void of any, of any illness, of any, of any uh, pain, impediments. I go to the gym, and it's so funny, I've, I have a number of conversations about this, but I, I, I go to the gym, and, and as I get older, I notice that my motives for going to the gym have multiplied. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I realize that there's, 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 some health, there's some good motive in there of health and of certainly stress relief. Uh, I mean, so often when I'm working, I can literally almost like, I don't know if it's all in my head, but I feel like, like stress is just leaving my body. It's wonderful. But uh, there's also motive of wanting to be young, wanting to stay strong, of wanting to hold on to something. Hold on to my youth, hold on to my independence. And Jesus comes along and says, Bruce, guess what? You can't hold on to that. It's going to slip away. But it's okay. You don't need to hold on to that. I've been in situations where I've tried to hold on to my reputation. I've tried to defend myself. I've tried to be as faithful as I know how, as a minister, as a friend, as a brother or sister in the Lord. I've tried to be faithful, and yet I have been thrown under the bus. And Jesus comes along and says, Bruce, you're not going to win here. They're not going to understand. And they may never understand. They'll always see you as the bad guy. It's okay. I've been there. I've been the bad guy. I've gone before you into that rejection. I've gone before you into that misunderstanding. And Jesus, he was vindicated. He was raised from the dead by his father and seated at his right hand. And he says, Bruce, you too one day will be vindicated. You too will sit at my right hand. It's okay. So there's a sense of, of in that loss, in that sorrow, a discovery of something solid, of something lasting, of something unmovable, of something impregnable. I mean, isn't that so often, I think that's the question at some point in our life we come to. There's all these joys that we have, and they're wonderful joys. They're to- toys, sports, right? The, the outdoors. All manner of just, just relationships, and yet they always come to an end, don't they? The joys inevitably go away. I mean, it's one of the things I see more and more as, I, as I've done the hospital visitation. I come in and visit patients, and almost all the joys in their life, they have all gone. It's like, what do I have left? What's there to look forward to? Why am I still living? They've all gone away, and you wonder, is there a joy that will, that will actually last that will actually endure, is there that joy? And that joy, says Paul, is found in the resurrected, reigning Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know, Nancy, if I can put you on the spot. Can you, can you put up the, the, the lyrics from um, uh, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me? Isn't that a beautiful song? That is such a beautiful song. The lyrics are just, they capture so much of what I, I was wanting to communicate this morning. But Christian joy, as she's doing that, um, wonderful. What gift of grace 
Is Jesus my Redeemer? Right? There is no more for heaven now to give. If you have him, you have an inheritance in a new heavens and a new earth. You have a shield against all of your sin. It's all been paid for. It's all been, it's all been, it's all washed away. Go ahead and go to the next verse. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to his. Isn't that beautiful? When we do the uh, Lord's Supper, you remember the, from the, uh, the Lord's Supper liturgy, where I say, I say um, we proclaim the mystery of faith, and you say, Christ has died, Christ is raised, risen, Christ will return. Right? The mystery of faith is that when you believe in that moment, when you surrender in your life, you confess, I am so sorry for all that I have done, all that I will do. I'm so sorry, and I surrender. I give my life to you. Please, I'm jumping, I'm, I'm sitting shotgun from now on. You are in the driver's seat. You're in charge of everything. You call the shots from now on. When that happens, in that act of faith is this union. You become united to Christ. You share in his life of obedience. It's counted as your own. You share in his death that he sacrificed for you. Share in his resurrection. You share in his, his reign as he reigns on high. You share in that you are there with him. For my life is wholly bound to his Oh, how strange and divine I can sing. All is mine. What a great line. Do you really believe that? That because Christ reigns over all, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, and you are bound to him. You share in that triumph. And Christian joy is this journey of life as you go through life, and more and more is taken away. It's taken from you. Right? Good things. Beautiful things are taken from you. And we get so upset, we get so sad, we get angry, we get angry at God. How could you take that from me? But in time, Christian, in time, if we are willing to walk with him and to walk with one another, our sorrow, our loss will be the means to that true joy. I don't know how to communicate this, guys, because it's so... It, it's, it's just, it is, it is very understandable. Human nature is such that we want to avoid sadness. We want to avoid dealing with loss. And yet those things, listen, Christian, those things, the loss, the sorrow, the sin, the suffering... Those are the very doors through which we must walk to, to taste and to know Christian joy. Does that make sense? It's very counterintuitive. It is very counterintuitive, but it is only through the loss. It's only through the imprisonment that Paul comes to the place of joy. And God knew that. He said, I'm going to throw a wrench in things. I'm going to put the apostles of the Gentiles in prison so that he might know the joy, the freedom of seeing my purposes worked out in ways that he never 
anticipated. I'm going to bring him to a place so he can say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's so beautiful. He goes on to say here, listen, listen to what he says here. There's a sense of freedom. I love this, verse 22. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. He believes that as he serves the Lord, he doesn't know how it's going to look, but he, it'll be fruitful. Yet what shall I choose? You think, wait a minute, what should you choose? What do you mean? Well, Paul, I think he could have played his cards. He could have decided how he was, he was in prison. He's going to appear before the magistrate. And he probably could have played his cards in a way in which he so emphasized his faith in Christ and just literally looked at, looked at Caesar and said, you know what? I serve Christ, not you. You are not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And guess what would happen to him? Right? And he would have been, he and Paul would have been, to die his game. Great. But he doesn't do that. Listen to what he says here. Verse 23, I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for me that I remain in the body. Why, Paul? Verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul says, I love to go. I love to check out right now. I mean, who wants to stick around this world? It's so empty, it's so false, it's so fake. Just sorrows at every turn. Paul says, I'm good, I'm, I'm ready to go. Oh wait, I'm not ready to go. Because I'm here to live for you. For you, Philippians. I'm going to get out of prison, and I'm going to come see you. I'm going to struggle for your progress, your joy in the faith. And gang, there's nothing more that I want to do than to do that for you. But it requires, it requires you taking a step of real faith and opening up your heart, your life to others. And if you will, to me. Some of you, you really do. You're struggling. You're so alone. And that's the last thing I want is for you to struggle alone. Again, Christian joy is experienced very rarely do we experience Christian joy immediately or on our own? It takes time. It takes time, but it also it takes being together. It's the eyes of others seeing, so often looking into our situation and seeing God's fingerprints. Hey, do you see God's fingerprints here? Here, here. Oh, you know, I, I didn't see it that way before. So joy is something that's experienced collectively when we let others in. Let me just give you an example of joy in my life from a number of years ago. I think I've shared this before, but when my, daughter, when my twin daughters were born, Rosemary and Lydia, Lydia had a number of complications. That They were both, as twins often are, they were, both, they were born premature, 33 and a half weeks. And Rosemary was able to go home about a week after um, um, she was born, but, but Lydia had to stay in the hospital for three and a half months or so. She had some internal plumbing issues, if you will. Her esophagus and trachea had some uh, holes and tunnels and things like that that weren't supposed to be there, and things weren't, things weren't, uh, weren't uh, right. And in fact, if apart from a surgery, she would, have, uh, she would have been dead within you know, a day or two because she just her, stomach, uh, her, her esophagus didn't lead to her stomach. And... Um, but through that experience, I can remember being in, the, uh, in the, the, the neonatal intensive care unit waiting for her surgery. 
her first surgery, and uh, and it was what's and I have to say, I mean, the, the surgery we knew was going to be successful. It wasn't like there was there was any any doubt, but it was still this idea of of just, you're performing major surgery on a on a what was she about six pounds? Is that right? Is it five five and a half pounds? I think five and a half six pound baby. I was thinking, how's this done? But I remember in that moment, I remember as I was with Lydia and she was there, um, you know, in that little in the little crib they have in the, in the neonatal ICU. Now remember, God bringing to my mind um, from John 14, where he, uh, he's about to leave his disciples. His disciples are deeply discouraged. Their hearts are troubled. And he says, um, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he says, in my father's house are many rooms. I've gone to prepare a place for you. And understand, in the ancient world, a household wasn't just like a single house, like you, you go to my house and it's just a single unit. In the ancient world, especially in you know, Palestine, a household would have been, it's more of a compound. And so you have multiple houses, multiple buildings. They could be actually quite large because you would have, a, it wasn't just a, a nuclear family living together. It would be a family of three or four generations and often multiple sons with their wives and their children all together. So it would be a, very, a large, a single household or single uh, compound could be actually quite large. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, in my father's do- domain, in his compound, there it's, it's a large and there are many rooms. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And he brought that to mind. And in that moment, in that moment, it was okay. If Lydia didn't make it, I said, you know what? Maybe God will take her home. And as much as I would miss her, as we would miss her. I just knew it would be okay. And that's joy. I was crying, but it was joy. Like I'm, most of the sermon I'm crying. <laughs> the pastor cried through his whole sermon on joy. <laughs> but it's the joy of, re- of realizing that there is resurrection after death. That out of death he can bring life. That out of evil he can bring goodness. That out of conflict he can bring peace. It is true joy comes out of a recognition that our God is holy and that he always has a way out. Amen? Let me just close with this story of a medical missionary. Um, I think his name is David Thompson, if I remember right. He was a medical missionary in uh, South Africa. And uh, I've never forgotten this story, but he was sharing about how he was serving uh, as a doctor, uh, you know, as a missionary uh, in uh, South Africa. And he, in his town where he was, there was a little boy. And this little boy's name was Donald, or Donald. They would say it there, Donald. And Donald had a skin disease. Uh, a skin disease that apparently you couldn't cu- cure it. You couldn't, like, give medicine for it. It would actually be something where you'd have to, not to be too graphic here, but you'd have to actually remove the skin and find skin from elsewhere in the body, remove the skin, and, and graft it in. And so the actual process of healing, of being, of, of being cured, was a very painful one, as you can imagine. And he, every morning, he would pray for Donald, that he could develop a relationship with him, in which Donald would begin to trust, and believe that he could really care for him. So that Donald would be willing to open up 
here, here, here I am. Perform the surgery that you need to do, as painful as it is, so that I can be healed. So that I can know the joy of health. To know the joy of, of feeling like a normal little boy. He talked about daily, always trying to do whatever he could to gain that trust until one day, Donald, you know, he didn't know his parents, he was just a street kid, Donald allowed him to do it. And it was, took several months of, of, of grafting and whatever, and the, the pain, the screaming, the sorrow, the tears. But he won that trust. It's the same way. My question to you this morning is, are you willing to open up your heart to the Lord? Are you, are you willing to take the sorrows that are just so deep, the sadness, the sin, and let him perform surgery on you? And let him in and let others in. It's not just the Lord. It's, he uses the instruments of others. So with that, I just want to I just want to encourage you to fight for joy in your life, to fight, fight for a joy that lasts, that endures, a joy that is undefeatable, a joy that is invincible. I love to fight together with you. Let's, uh, let's bow our heads in prayer.